church, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 22. Turn to Genesis chapter 22 with me. Very familiar passage, very familiar section. But I pray maybe we see it through new lenses this morning in a way that maybe has been distorted for us, maybe a way that's discouraged us even at times before. But Genesis chapter 22, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, there's Bibles on the back that will be on the screen. And uh, it's going to be 1 through 14, several verses, but I just want us to read this together to really kind of lean into this text this morning to see what it is that God has for us in that. Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. Let's read together. It says, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over, to, over there and worship and come again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on, Isaac's, on Isaac his son. And he took his hand in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on your boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the pla that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Church, let's pray. Father, I just ask this morning that you would just speak to us. God, that you would just open up our eyes to your word. Lord, what it means that you are provider, Jehovah Jireh. God, this, this has been used and abused in so many ways, Father God, but I pray this morning we see the truth of what it is and the beauty of the truth and how heavy and deep this goes for your people. Father, I just ask that you open our eyes, open our hearts. Lord, let us lay down our pride before you today, Lord, and allow you to challenge us and convict us in how we need to be. Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, as we uh, begin to get close to wrapping up our summer series uh, the, in our study of the names of God, the compound names of God, the Jehovah's, uh, you know, as we've navigated through this, we've seen all throughout the Old Testament, as we've seen this mentioned, we've seen these attributes of God that are presented through these namings or through these recognitions or these remembrances of who God is. 
You know, we've talked about the Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our healer. The Lord is our last week. We talked about the Lord is our shalom or the Lord is our peace. And this morning, church, we talk about the, the name of God that we will be focusing on today is Jehovah Jireh. Now, this is probably one of the most well-known ones that we recognize when we think about the Lord or these Jehovah compound names of Jehovah Jireh being a very commonly known thing. But for us, I think, and, and even in myself, you know, growing up as a Christian, being in church, as we think about or interact with people, as we talk about God being a provider, I think in a lot of ways we have a hard time, we're at a loss of trying to imagine what that truly means, mostly because God as provider has been perverted or even prostituted out for money or wealth or success or all these things. Every television preacher is speaking of God being a provider and in the way that they speak about God being a provider is the way that they draw people in to this idea of that if you have enough faith it's been called word of faith or prosperity gospel if you have enough faith if you have enough works of faith in you then God will provide what you want with little hurt with little dis disturbance with little issue and so for us as Christians, we have a hard time navigating that because we, we have these images because everybody loves the idea of God as provider, right? We love to think about God giving us all we need and all we want and all we think we need and all we think we want. And so for us, as we enter into the space of seeing and learning about who God is as Jehovah Jireh, <clears throat> I believe there's a vast experience of God to be had within this context that supersedes the abuse that it's gone through, that this text has been used and abused and out of context. And I think for us that if we can truly, as Christians, lean into this, then not only will it better our lives, but as we enter into the lives of non-believers who see a God who see a God based out of the goggles, kind of the vision of the prosperity gospel and word of faith that would say, if your God is provider, then why is he not doing this? The prosperity gospel or the word of faith has no answer for that. Well, you know, if God is providing, if, if I almost hold God captive to a certain extent by my faith, he is obligated to do things for me. I deal with this all the time in my line of work, and we've talked about this before. When you're dealing with people at the end of life and these people that have been grown up and raised up in these word of faith, prosperity gospel mentalities, and they're told if you have enough faith, then this won't happen. If you have enough faith, you'll be healed. When you're dealing with people at the end of life and they're telling themselves, I'm trying, I want to have enough faith, I'm struggling, I'm trying, I'm, I'm working to have that type of faith. And they're just distraught and they just believe, well, God's forgotten about me. God's given up on me. If I'm continuing to wither away and die, surely God's just let go of me. And that's a miserable place for any human being to ever be in any instance to the extremes or to the not extremes of our experiences in life to ever feel like God is provider as limited as that. You know, this text is the very first time, we're 22 chapters into the Bible, and this is the very first time God is even mentioned as provider. Has God provided for His people in certain ways up to this point? Absolutely He has. So the fact that God is mentioned as provider here, and not before this, tells us something about the nature of God's provision, and what He's wanting us to see and to hear and to know about this. And that this is not in the way we typically 
think of provision. And so there's three things this morning that I want us to get into and to know that I believe this text wants us to see. The first thing is this, what God is trying to do, what God needs to do with us in our mindsets to truly see what God is in Jehovah Jireh or the Lord who provides. The first thing is this, is that we need to fix our perspective on what real provision is. That we need to fix our, our perspective on what real provision is. Because at our worst, and a lot of us, people who are in the church, maybe on right, kind of on the, the, the edge, the kind of the fence of church, or even people on the very outside of church. We love the idea of praying towards God as a provider. You see it all over Facebook. Somebody has something going on, they're asking for prayer. They may not be a part of a local church. They may not even be a believer, but they're asking for prayer because they, they like the idea of going to a higher being and asking to be given something or something to be done. And so at our worst as human beings, we look at God as a waiter, right? That we usher over when we need something. You know, you think about the last restaurant when you went to, you... Hey, can I get a tea? Can I get a ice, you know, a Coke? Can I get a refill? Can I get a, a cheese dip? Whatever it might be. At our worst, we approach God in that capacity. Hey, God, listen, I, I, need, a, I need a promotion. God, I need this job to be better. God, I'm feeling, I'm feeling down and out today. Can you help me to feel better? God, I need more money. Give me more money. God, my family member has cancer. Heal him. God, my marriage is, is in shambles. Make it better. You know, in, in and of themselves, we should be. God says, bring me your needs. Bring me your wants. Bring me your desires. I'm not saying that, that, that we don't go to God with those things, because he says, bring those things to me. And the Bible tells us in James 1.17 that all good things come from him. All good and perfect things come from him. So anything good we have in our life, our marriage, our food, our, our money, whatever it might be, he has given us. But for many of us, we stop there. We stop at seeking after the provision. We stop at seeking after what He can give to us. And what we miss is the depth of what God is as provider. You know, and a lot of it is because of this perversion that has happened. Because we believe and we have been taught that God is almost obligated to do what we think we want or need in our life if we Ask that of him in faith. But what God shows us is provision does not come from our pursuit and trust in the provision, but our faith in the provider. You know, because I, I, I love this text. And, and, and when I was studying this, there was something about this that I was just like, man, this, I, I haven't read it like this in a sense of like catching this moment. And in verse 5, we see this. We see Abraham say this. When he's talking to the young men, he tells them, and remember he brings two young men, Isaac, and all the stuff that they need. So he tells the two young men in verse 5, he says, stay here. And then right after that, he says this in verse 5. He says, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So what are we reading right there? When he's telling these men, he says, we're going to go and worship and we're going to come again to you. What is he saying? You know, I don't believe he's being deceitful. I don't believe it's like a play on words. I don't think he's trying to like trick these men by lying to them. But I also do not believe that Abraham thought that God would keep him from doing what he called him to do. And how do we know that? Well, the writer of Hebrews would tell us that Abraham's mindset was in anticipation that he would have to kill his son, sacrifice his son, 
because that's what God had called him to. And we know that Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, it reads speaking about this very situation. Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him. So Abraham went into this situation... I believe because of what Hebrews says, not thinking that God was going to provide a sacrifice. Abraham went into this situation with confidence in God's promises and that however things went, that God would provide in some capacity. Abraham didn't believe that he would be relieved of the agony ahead. Abraham didn't believe that he would be relieved of the suffering. I mean... I think a lot of time we feel so disconnected from this story when we think about Abraham and his son Isaac and we think Abraham just marched up the hill, laid his son down, went to slaughter him and God was like, stop. And Abraham was like, okay, and stop. I truly believe that if Abraham is the man of faith that God presents him as, that the agony he experienced had to be overwhelming. I mean, think about for you people who are parents, if God had called you to do something like that and your faith just just pushed you and, and encouraged you and led you to continue in obedience to do what he had to do. Can you imagine the agony of every step of that process? And the fact that Abraham would tell these men, we will be back. This wasn't confidence that God was going to provide the lamb, which he would eventually that he would offer This was confidence that no matter the hurt, no matter the struggle, no matter the suffering I would experience, God's promises will persevere and whatever that looks like, He's going to do it. It's not, Abraham didn't go to them and say, hey look, God's going to provide, I'm not worried, I'm not agonizing up this mountain, I'm not freaking out, I'm not not worried. No, because the writer of Hebrews tells us that he was even in his mind um, uh, believing that if I have to kill my son right now, that God will raise him from the dead. That even with that hope, can you imagine the hurt and the agony that Abraham was experiencing in that moment? Abraham's confidence was not in that God was going to save him from the pain, but that his promises would endure through that. Church, true provision is not limited by no pain. You know, I tell my kids all the time when we're talking about earning and growing and working and this and that, I say, listen, anything worth having is going to be hard work. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be suffering at times. It's going to be hurt at times. There's going to be disappointment at times. Every element of our life, we experience that on different levels from birth through our, 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 our marriages and raising kids and, and, and in old age and all these things that we experience all come with different levels of hurt. They come with different levels of sacrifice and suffering and navigating difficulties. So uh, Abraham knew that God would keep his promise, that Isaac was his promise, that he knew that in some capacity God would keep his promise, even if it hurt initially, even if it broke him initially. He had something only God can offer us and only the Christian faith can give us, and that is hope. That is hope for nothing. Hope strictly by the grace of God and by his promises to us. We have to understand that God's provision is found in our process. That it may come with suffering, it may come with grief. But you know, the fact that we live in such a 
you hurt my feelings kind of world. You know, uh, we, we don't like to be inconvenienced. We don't like to have to endure. We, we hate the idea of it. And every generation that comes about more and more and more, we hate the idea of, of any hurt at all. And if we can experience anything other than hurt, then we will. And that's why people, as, as the world becomes more hostile to God, they're going to continue to push back against God and say, if your God was so good, then why are children dying of cancer? If your God is so good, then why are marriages still being destroyed? If your God is so good, then why are ministers and people still falling to sin? If your God was so good, then why are people people so horrible is because in the midst of those things God is still doing something that's the difference is that God uses our pain and it's not a waste God uses our disappointment and it's not a waste God uses our obedience and our discernment and it's not a waste because we have hope in something beyond this life we have, we have hope in something beyond the environment that we live in politically or environmentally or whatever it might be. That there are bigger things at work than all those things that we navigate. And we know that all of life's experiences God is using for our good, for those who are called. As Romans 8.28 would tell us, that we know that though, for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose or those who are, are His. And so what does Abraham name this space? I love this. That Abraham named the mountain. When he called it, he called it the Lord will provide. You know, and that's very significant when we try to fix our eyes on provision and what God's doing in our lives, in our marriages, with our kids, in our workspace, in our community. As we're navigating Christian life, Abraham names this place the Lord will provide. It was not the Lord might provide or the Lord did provide. It was not named, this mountain was not named in recognition of his agony or his difficulty or his trials. He wasn't just sulking in his hurt and being uh, self-victimized by all the, the negativity or whatever had happened to him leading up to that moment, the agony he experienced. No, he named that mountain the Lord will provide. Not only did he provide, but he would continue to provide in similar ways as he has for me in this moment. That the agony that I've experienced as Abraham, the agony that I've experienced marching up this mountain will not be the last agony that I experience. But it will not be the last time that I experience the provision of God either. It's not in memory of but in expectation for. This is how God provides in our lives is moment to moment. This is how God navigates our lives, that in the difficulties, in the suffering, God is not saving us from never suffering, but God is sanctifying us through our suffering. That God is making and molding us more and more into this perfect image of Christ with every difficult situation, every day, every season of life we navigate. And the worst thing that we do in the midst of that is allow our eyes and our fixture, our, our, our perspective on provision to shift away from that. Because the moment that our eyes shift away from that being the perspective of our provision is the moment that we see all the pain and all the suffering as either God forgetting about us or as God not being able to use us anymore or God not having a purpose and plan and promise for us. Church, our perspective on provision, provision has to be this, that it's about loving the provider more than we love the provision. 
loving the provider more than we love the provision. Because when we begin seeking the provision, when the provision by our standards ends, now what? If we worship the provision, then we'll be falling short. We'll be missing something constantly. Loving and trusting the provider helps us to endure when the provision isn't immediate. God has made promises in the midst of that. The second thing is this, that we would put ourselves in position to experience His provision. I think this is very important, that if we're not seeing God provide, maybe it's because we have not allowed ourselves to be in spaces where we see that provision. In verse, uh, verse 1, in verse 7, and verse 11, Abraham repeats three different, th- three, the same thing three times in the same way. When God calls out to him, and makes the command that he gives him to walk in obedience. What does Abraham say in verse 1? He says, here I am. In verse 7, when his son asks him a question in regards to his obedience to God, what does Abraham say? He says, here I am. In verse 11, when Abraham is preparing to receive the blessing of God through his obedience, his response is, here I am. In the first, in verse 1, he's positioned to hear from God. For a lot of us, I think the reason we may be missing the provision of God is we have not put ourselves in position to hear from God. And a lot of that comes because we're engaging it with things that are distracting us. We're giving ourselves over to lesser things. We're isolating ourselves. We've moved ourselves into a space where God is not of value, is not of importance, where God is not of, 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 of need in our life. If we don't feel like we need God, then we won't see the provision that God's trying to give us. We won't hear these steps of obedience that He calls us to. Listen, I believe in a sovereign God that His work will get done one way or the other. You know, I was having a conversation with someone the other day, and they said, you know, talking about our community, and they said, you know, I really feel like God's given up on us. If we don't do something, if we don't act quickly, God's going to give up on us, and He's not going to do anything in our community. I said, no, my God is bigger than that. But what we miss is we miss being a part of that. We miss seeing the provision. We miss experiencing what God can and will do with us and through us in the lives of our families or in our communities. Not only that, but he responded, here I am, when his son had a question. You know, I'll admit this, even as a father of four, busy, running, full-time job, doing all these things, ministry, athletics, all this stuff, that it's very easy for us to get distracted and to miss the questions. Maybe not a verbal question, but even being discerning enough to know that our kids need us to answer. Our kids need us to say something. I love that in that moment that Abraham says, here I am. Can you imagine the agony and the stress? You know how hard it had to have been for him to even want to answer that question to any degree? That Abraham, that that Isaac said, dad, father, Abba. And he said, here I am, son. For us as parents, for us as people, we have got to be hearing and seeing when our kids are needing us to instruct them. You know, Abraham doesn't even give him all the answer. But what he does is he lays out the plan at which God has called him to. Seeing God's true provision in our lives And being in position to see God's provision requires us as parents. The most important thing we do is be discerning of God's will for us and be discerning and hearing and and, and evidentially examining what God needs us to communicate to our children in regard to God's will for our lives and for their lives. 
Because this involved Isaac too. To be in position, we have to hear the questions. We have to be spiritually present with our families. And the last place that he's present, as he said, is in the acknowledgement before God provided the blessing. And this comes through obedience. Abraham was in place to hear God's blessing because of his obedience. Because he was following through with what God had instructed him. We have to know that this was not from Abraham's, this, this moment was not for Abraham's salvation. This moment was not for Abraham's salvation. Back in Genesis 15, God had already counted, un, counted unto him righteousness. Remember, righteousness is our good standing before God. God had already said because of Abraham's faith that he was righteous. So he was already saved back in Genesis 15. So this Genesis 22 moment is not a salvation moment. This is a sanctifying moment. God is using this moment to mold Abraham, to make Abraham into something better, into a better leader, into a better father, into a better minister, into a better prophet for the people. Church, obedience puts us in places to see God's provision. God was making Abraham holy and he uses our moments of obedience, stepping into these spaces that maybe are agonizing, maybe are sacrificial for us. I mean, God tells Abraham, your one and only son, very clear, the one you wanted, the one you prayed for, that I've called you to give him to me. This was not a work to save, but this was a work that makes and many of our obedient decisions to follow through and pursue God in our life that are going to hurt us, that are going to be agonizing to us, that are going to be sacrificial to us, they are meant to make us into something more. And we miss that blessing if we don't follow in those steps of obedience within our families, within a local church, within our community when opportunities come. We miss those opportunities. And how do we follow through with that process? Church, following through with that process for Abraham and even for us was tedious. And it requires obedience. And how do we know it was tedious? Verse 3, verse 6, and verse 9, we see different things he had to do. It says that he rose early. He saddled his donkey. He took two men and his son. That he cut wood. That he took the wood. That he took in his hand the fire and the knife. That he built an altar. That he laid the wood in order that he bound Isaac, that he laid him on the altar. You know, we read these office tasks at which that Abraham does, but can you imagine the severity at which the difficulty of those tasks got as time went on? I mean, it was easy to gather the people to a certain extent, even knowing what he was going to have to do. Gather the stuff, gather it up, gather the knife, gather the wood. Not only that, but then he kind of gets to building the altar. It's a little more work, and he's a little closer to that moment, but still not quite as difficult as it would be. Builds the altar, lays the wood in order. Tedious work. But then to come to this point where he has to bind his son. Laying him on the altar. This process of making and, and God leading Abraham, we're working towards provision at this point. Nobody in our in regular, everyday world wants to work this hard to see God's provision, right? The beginning was easy. I can gather the wood. I can maybe even build the altar. But to begin to tie him down, to lay him on top of what would seem to be his deathbed in that moment. 
Church, being in, per, per, in position to experience God's provision is tedious and sometimes agonizing. It's going to take time. It's going to take obedience, steps of faith and obedience. And you know what? And even getting to those moments, it may even hurt us. How is the mindset of Abraham in this moment? And how is our mindset as we're navigating Christian life and leading our families, living in the church, navigating different things within the context of the church? How often are those things just plagued with confusion? How often are we scared? How often are we intimidated? All of these emotions and feelings we had, think of these emotions and feelings that Abraham's having in these steps of obedience as he's going scared, intimidated by the, 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 the call and the challenge that God has for him. That he's confused. Because Abraham went through the whole process, he got to see what God would do. He didn't stop short. He didn't give up. If he would have only gone halfway on the trip, if he would have only climbed halfway up the mountain, if he'd only built the altar, he'd have never got to see God as Jehovah Jireh. He'd have never got to see God as provider. But because he climbed all the way up the mountain. All the tedious work, all the agony, all the, the, the fear, all the doubts, all the confusion, all the intimidation, because he experienced those things and navigated those things, he was able to be in position to see God's provision. Church, our obedience is required to see God's true provision. David Platt said this, I read this week, said this is how God works. He puts his people in positions where they are desperate for his power. Then he shows his provision in ways that display his greatness. Church, sometimes getting to what we need takes us through where we don't want to be. I think a lot of us can attest to that in some way, shape, or form. That where we are today, we navigated a lot of places we never wanted to be. Abraham didn't want to be on that mountainside. Abraham didn't want to be laying his son down. I don't believe that. With Abraham being the, 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 the father that he was, the, the leader that he was, the man of God that he was, there's no part of me that believes that he enjoyed it. But what I do believe is that he had confidence that God would provide. That he had confidence that God would see. And that even in navigating the spaces that we don't want to be, that we know it's getting us to what we need. God provides us in ways, church, in ways that we need in our day-to-day -day life and dealing with temptation. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says, but with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The same thing. Maybe we're dealing with temptation this morning in some way, shape, or form. He says, he'll give us the way that we may endure it. That we may march up the mountain. That we may, we may do the tedious work it takes. That we may get to those points of agony and suffering and difficulty. Maybe even sacrificing something. But he says he'll provide a way from that temptation. If we want to be rid of whatever that is. Lust, some type of addiction, whatever it might be. He says if we want to be rid of that, he has provided a way. But we're going to have to endure it. We're going to have to endure that way to see his provision. Not only that, but we can be in position for His provision through seeking after Him. It says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. 
Church, putting ourselves in position to see his provision will lead us to all truths. The truths we need for our families, the truths we need for our spouses, the truths we need for our church and the places at which we work and live and our kids play. And then the last thing is this, to know that the provider sees the needs. And I think this is the, the most beautiful thing about Abraham's experience here. You know, because he names this mountain at the very end of, of verse 14. He says that the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh as it is said, to this day on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Another way that that is said, or another way that that is translated at the end of verse 14 there, is that it shall be seen. It shall be seen, or the Lord sees. As people of God, as we've sung about this morning, who I am, I am who you say I am, I am your child, a child of God. That Abraham knew and that he wanted people from generation to generation to know that the Lord sees. The Lord sees our needs. There's not one moment for a child of God that God has ever forgotten about us, that God has ever abandoned us, that God sees the need. God saw need in that moment. And for us, He saw a need in that moment. In Genesis 22. It was the greatest need, the most beautiful example of God's provision that we'll see in the entire Bible besides the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Because what He gave to us in those moments and what He exemplified in this moment with Abraham is His provision of eternity. His provision of eternal fellowship with the Holy God that we cannot accomplish on our own. Church, God never intended for Abraham to sacrifice his son. Because in reality, this would have been murder. And in reality, if God would have allowed this to go through, he would not have been any different than any other pagan god at the time. Remember, we talked about a couple weeks ago, Molech, that worship, pagan worship to him was sacrificing babies and, 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 and children. If God would have allowed this to go through, He would have not been any different than any other pagan God. But because our God is different, and because Abraham had the confidence to say that the Lord will provide for Himself a lamb for the burnt offering, we can see the uniqueness of the Christian gospel. We can see the uniqueness of who our God is. That as Generations and generations of pagan worshipers have sacrificed themselves or sacrificed their children to gain the approval of their gods and the acceptance of their gods. Our God is different, and our Bible tells us so. Hosea 6.60 says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. The knowledge of God. Abraham, knowing the Lord sees, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. God says, this is what I want for you, to have a knowledge of who God is more so than your giving of anything because there is nothing that we give that is good enough for our God. That is why Abraham says the Lord will provide for himself a lamb because there's no lamb that we give. There's no sacrifice that we do. There's no son of my own that is sacrifice enough, atonement enough, provision enough, to fix the problem that I truly have. You know, 
the, the gospel, the prosperity gospel, and the word of faith will tell us that our greatest need is our, is our wants. I want food. I want money. I want safety. I want security. I want comfort. But God looks into our lives. God looked into the life of Abraham here, looking forward hundreds of years into the future to say that your greatest need, my greatest need, isn't that my belly is full. My greatest need isn't that I'm comfortable in a nice home. My greatest need is not that I love my job. My greatest need is that I have a sin problem and that there is a curse that has infected me and that curse has kept me from experiencing God's provision. It will eternally affect me and keep me from experiencing the beauty of God's presence forever. God says our greatest need of provision is not what he can fill our bellies with or give us in our pockets. God's greatest provision for us was giving his son Jesus on the cross, providing a lamb for sacrifice. Abraham, God said, told Abraham, listen, you don't have to give your son. I'm going to give mine. I'm going to provide the sacrifice for you. For what? What had Abraham really done? Abraham had made many mistakes up to that moment, and Abraham would make many more after that. Isaac's family would make mistakes. Every generation after him of these people that God sees and provides for would make mistakes and fail to some extent. But Abraham says, the Lord sees. Psalm 51, 16 through 17 says, For you will not delight in a sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite or authentic heart. God has called us to be a people like Abraham. I believe in that moment, preparing to sacrifice his son, that he was broken, desperately dependent on the need that he had in God. Church, this is where we see God's true provision. It's when we come before him as broken people in desperate need of something that we cannot provide on our own. We are sinners. Rotten, filthy sinners. And yes, God loves us. Yes, God has grace and mercy for us. And even in our salvation, it does not change the fact that we are drawn towards sin. But what God has done with us is He's provided a way and He sees our needs and he provides in a way that no man can. Matthew 6, Jesus said, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed or not made as beautiful as one of these. The same God who smiles on the beauty of wildflowers and feeds a baby sparrow. Church sent his son as the atoning replacement sacrifice for our sins. Jesus was the last and final sacrifice. Jesus is God's perfect and complete provision to the answer and the answer to our deepest needs. Because what's most valuable about this is that we see God's involvement and His participation in our redemption and how that is a vital element of our Christian life. 
Romans 8, 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 1 Peter 1, 19, it says, But the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. Listen, because there's no work that we do that does this. There's no work that Abraham could have done with his son. Because we see, we see God get this moment right, where Abraham's moment wasn't enough. In verse 6 and verse 9 of Genesis 22, it says that Abraham took the wood, and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And he bound Isaac, and he laid him on top of the wood. Listen, the wood on Isaac's back was not enough. But the wood on Jesus' back was plenty to provide for us. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. John 19, 17, it says, And he went out bearing his own cross or his own piece of wood to the place called the place of the skull, which is Aramaic for Golgotha. Or John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Church, God removed the wood from Isaac's back and has removed the wood from our back and laid it on the back of Jesus, bearing our sin, bearing our shame, bearing our excuses, bearing everything that keeps us from experiencing his provision. And church, for us, as I wrap up, that we would know that provision is not for our comfort, but it's for our movement. God is providing for Abraham for his movement. After this, Abraham would be the leader. He would continue to lead. Would he continue to be perfect? Absolutely not, but he would continue to lead. And God has called us in having a fixed focus on what his true provision looks like. That his true provision, it may bring us through pain. It may bring us through suffering. It may bring us through despair or agony or questions or concerns or doubts. But what carries us through those things is a confidence to know that God's promises for his people are greater than my pain. And that God's provision is at the end of that. That at the end of of all those things, at the end of climbing the mountain, at the end of our tedious work, our day-to-day monotonous Christian life of reading His Bible, of praying, of worshiping, of coming to church, that after all those tedious works, after climbing the mountain at the very tippity-top, that God provides. That God provides His promises. And you know what? It's not always going to be money. It's not always going to be comfort. But to know that in all things God is providing, but for us to truly experience and see that, for us as individuals, church, we must love God more than the gifts we believe we deserve or want. For ourselves, for our children, whatever it might be, that we must love God more than the things that we want or the places we want to be. So as we finish up, let's just bow our heads this morning. Maybe begin to evaluate and to see where it is that we've asked for God's provision and maybe even repent of places at which we've held God ransom to a very specific plan of provision that we've had for ourselves or for our family. That we've expected God to do this very specific thing and that He has not provided in that specific way and that we've got discouraged. That we've 
started our way up the mountain and we've turned back halfway and missed on what it looks like for God to provide. That maybe we would ask God this morning, God, forgive me of stopping halfway. God, continue to show me the path that you'd have me to walk up the mountain. God, continue to show me the, the journey that you have for me. God, whether it brings me to sacrifice, whether it brings me to suffering, whether it brings me to pain or difficulties, whatever it might be, God, lead me down those paths. Lead me up that mountain. And let our prayer be that we want to experience God's provision. Not lessen it just to monetary provision, physical provisions. But that we will see the depth of God's provision being at its most glorious his sacrifice for us on the cross, forgiving us of our sin and stripping away the need to feel shame, stripping away the, the need to feel guilt, stripping away the need to ever feel like we're too weak or too, too misguided or too, too unable to lead our families or to be a Christian influence in our spaces of influence. And ultimately here this morning, if we've never truly put our faith in that work, that we would cry out to Him, the Bible tells us, if we would believe that He would receive us and save us this morning. So let's pray. Father God, I just thank You. God, I thank You for the goodness of Your Word. God, I thank You for the love that You have for Your people, God. And I thank You that even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of tedious agony that we experience in our day-to-day -day life, God, that You have provision for us. God, sometimes it's at the beginning of the mountain, Lord, but sometimes it's at the top. Through the suffering, through the work, through the agony. God, let us have an accurate view of your provision and what that means for us. God, that all our provision today starts and ends with Jesus. Bearing our sin on the cross. Being that lamb, that perfect spotless lamb, that one sacrifice once and for all. That covers us. But you've not called us anymore to sacrifice in that same way. But you've called us to a knowledge of who you are. Believing that you're providing. And use that provision for movement in our life. God, lead us into our families. Lead us towards our spouses. Lead us towards our ch local church here. Lead us towards the local churches around us that may be hurting in need of support from the body of Christ today. Father God, we just love you. We just put all our confidence and our hope in you and your provision, Jehovah Jireh. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.